0: Today, we'll be beginning the series, First Christmas, Stories from the Birth of Christ. In this series, we'll be taking a look into the stories of the different people who were a part of the first Christmas. Make plans not to miss any of this series. Now let's open our hearts and Bibles and get ready to receive God's Word.
1: bring chicken (laughs) that's the first thing my neighbor said to me when I told her I was pregnant can you believe that maybe she just didn't believe me but I don't I don't hold it against her she'd been a tad bit cranky ever since she found that scorpion in her girdle drawer (laughs) maybe she just didn't realize what a miracle this was for me I mean, Zachariah and I had been trying to have a child of our own our whole lives. By the time most of my hair turned gray and Zachariah's had turned loose, we had given up hope. But nothing is impossible for God. (laughs) He seems to delight in making life out of barren places. as if that wasn't enough. The angel who brought us this unbelievable news had even more to say. This child, our son, would be used by God to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. This was all too much of a gift to be real. And then I thought, how am I going to train this child for a job like that? Had those details covered too, and it keeps getting better. When I was about six months along, my cousin Mary came for a visit, and no sooner had she said hello than this unborn son jumped and flipped inside of me. Whew. Right then, God just opened my eyes so that I could clearly see that this young girl standing in my home was also with child. And he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. (laughs) About nine months later, we got the news from Bethlehem. I looked over at Zachariah holding our very own Miracle Baby. I had one of those God moments. You know, when you just realize, you say, God just had different plans. He had brought us life in barren places. He hadn't forgotten about us. And He would never leave us alone again.
0: In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, from birth. Many of the people of Israel will will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When his time of service was completed. He, Zachariah, returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord had done this for you, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor. And taken away my disgrace among the people. Did you know... That in this time in history, that not having children was considered almost a curse. It was definitely considered a sign of divine disfavor. And it brought with it not only all the ram- personal ramifications of not having children and the, and the social aspect of it. But it brought almost a reproach from the people. Because they thought that surely something was wrong with you and that God's displeasure was upon you because you didn't have children. So they not only had to deal with their personal issues of not having children, but the judgment of the religious group, the self-righteous ones. Now, what's really amazing, church, is that today the same thing really happens. Maybe not in such an open uh, 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 display But in secret, those religious self-righteous group look down on those people who have a barren place, who have an empty place in their life. Not only not having children, it could be a number of things, it could be illness, health issues, and surely you're doing something wrong. You must be in some kind of sin or some kind of unforgiveness or bitterness because look at where you are now. Trust me, June and I have first-hand experience with that. Why doesn't anybody just stop and think for a second? Maybe God isn't keeping something from you, but getting something ready for you. Maybe he's setting the stage for something that's really good in your life. He isn't punishing you, he's preparing you. He's preparing you for something that He wants to do. He's preparing you so that He can take that empty place in your life. He can take that barrenness in your life. And He can fill it with His purpose and fill it with His plan and His heart for you in your life. Let's look at it from that direction. He wants you just at the right place physically, emotionally, and spiritually to use that empty, barren place in your life. And Elizabeth and Zechariah, we saw and just read, were very faithful people. They were godly people. However, before this in their life, if you notice, there's no place else to be mentioned in here up until this time. But God saw their hearts where they were. And he heard their cry, just like with Hannah. And he answered that. And he used them in that barrenness he used them in that empty place as part of his redemptive plan for mankind he used them to bring forth a son who would prepare the way for the messiah the savior of mankind not too bad for an old couple part of the over the hill gang Now, watch out, all you young ones. Maybe God's just not quite through with us old folks yet. Come on now. It's never too late, church. If you're over 50, if you're over 60, if you're over 70, God still wants to use you. And if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling barren, if you're feeling inadequate, if you're feeling like, why me, I just as soon quit, roll over and play dead because God's, no, you better think again because he wants to use you just like he used this couple to usher in his redemptive plan for mankind. Now, when I was looking at this, And listen probably three or four times altogether to this little little film of her. And I realized that Elizabeth's story applies directly to us. And so in each one of these characters that we're going to study, we're going to go through six of them until the main Christmas message. Because I want you to identify with the people that are involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, it's no different, church. We're going to have a manger scene on that nice slab that's out there in the next week or two. Brother Kirk and I are going to go wire electricity. We're going to have lights so the whole world can see the manger scene. But when you take all of these characters that are around that scene, come on, church, it's us. People just like us. So how does Elizabeth's story apply to us today? Well, first of all, listen carefully. We all have empty, barren places in our life. We all have them in our life. I don't care how old you are, young or old you are, or whatever. Relationally, we have empty places. Single people who would love to be married, and they feel empty. They feel alone. Believe me, I know I've been there. I was single all through my 20s. Every time something would come up for couples this and marriage this and family that, and I felt empty. I felt alone. I felt like I was in that empty, barren place. Married people who have really no relationship at all. And they look around and they see these marriages that are full and fulfilled. And theirs is empty. Children with no fathers. Mothers with no children. Parents who have lost a child. I I can't imagine that. I I just can't imagine that. Outliving my child. And it leaves them empty. It leaves them barren feeling Couples, again, as I said, who want to have children. We've been there too. And so for all of the Mother's Day things and all, you feel left out. You feel... How about abused children who have been physically, physically sexually, emotionally abused? These barren places that God wants to fill just like he did with Elizabeth and with Zechariah. But not only that, I realize that God delights in bringing life to our barren places... It is his delight to fill that place in your life, to make it whole, to make it complete, as he did in their life. He is the God of life and light, and he wants to fill it in your life, to make you complete, to fulfill the purpose that he has for you. Now listen, here's just a thought, just a thought. Maybe he's waiting on us To stop focusing on our lack and on our empty place, on our desert experience. And start focusing more on the provision and on the provider and on the protection and on the love. In short, to focus on him instead of our lack. Have you noticed that very often people who are trying to have children and they want to have children just as we did. Going through everything that's possible. Going to the doctors. I even had an operation. I had something wrong with me. And to, to have a child and go through all of this stuff. And people, and then, and then we've all heard these stories. And then they say, well, listen, we're going to adopt a child. And they adopt a child. And when they adopt a child, they start having children naturally one after the other. And then they have one adopted and five of them that they gave birth to. Have you all noticed that? Well, you want to know why? It's because they gave up. <laughs> They gave up. They quit. Have you heard this before? They quit trying so hard. Come on, have you heard that? And then all of a sudden, there's babies all over the house. Well, church, listen to me, dear ones. Listen to me. The same thing applies in our lives in every area, not just children. It could be your job. It could be your children, it could be your family, it could be a number of areas in your life that's empty, that feels void, that needs to be filled, that's going wrong, that's totally arrived, totally astray, it's just not there. And just maybe God is waiting on you to go to him and give it to him and then at that point he says, that's what I've been waiting on and now I can fill it. Lastly, I think we learn from Elizabeth that God will never forget you. He sent his son, Jesus, and you will never be alone again. Come on, church. Have you ever been in that barren place of loneliness? Raise your hand. Have people all around you, people that you're talking to at work, people that call you, people that are friends, and you feel all alone. Have you been there? Raise your hand again. It's not just me. Come on you feel alone. God will never forget you. He sent his son Jesus and you will never be alone again for God so loved the world that he sent his only one begotten son Jesus Christ that whoever would believe in him, whosoever would believe in him, Would not perish but have eternal life. Listen to what Jesus wrote in John chapter 17. Which which we call the real Lord's prayer. Where Jesus is actually praying. He says, my prayer is not father for them alone. For the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Raise your hand. Say that's me. He's talking about us. Father just as you and I are Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, that's us, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Listen to me, dear ones. If we could get a revelation and really believe. Revelation means where you really believe it. It goes from your head down to your heart. Really believe it and trust in it. That no matter what, no matter what the situation is. The driest. The emptiest. The, the most barren place that you have in your life. That you are not alone. And that God is with you. And that he loves you. You would be unstoppable. Because when you feel... And have a revelation of that kind of love. It brings a security in your life. It brings a knowing down deep in your heart. That I'm loved. And he's watching out for me. And he has a place for me. And he has a plan for me. And that he will fill that barren place in my life. No matter where you are. Now listen, I want everyone to repeat with me right now. Say, my name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Come on, come on. Say it like you mean. My name name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, But God will bring life life. to my barrenness. barrenness. Joy to my soul. soul, And purpose purpose to my life. And it starts this Christmas. This is your first Christmas. Now, with all this talk of children, let's look at another character involved in the first Christmas. He's engaged to Elizabeth's relative. Everyone says cousin, but really, Scripture just says relative. He's engaged to her young relative. He's engaged to Mary. And Mary's a young girl. They estimate 14, 15 years old. Very, very young. And Mary turns up pregnant. Oh, my God. Before the wedding took place, which was a much bigger disgrace than barrenness in that day. And Joseph decides that he's going to divorce her privately to save face for her. And for himself, to keep her from public humiliation and to keep her from being stoned to death. And then in a dream, he's told that the child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, in his awe, can't figure out why God chose him to raise the Messiah the Savior of mankind, to house and to feed and to teach man's Savior until his time has arrived. Go figure. Why me, Lord? What did I ever do to deserve this love from you?
2: It was the scariest, um, most difficult, confusing, exciting, most wonderful day of my life. I mean, (laughs) I mean, when you, when you realize that God is allowing you to be a father, I, I don't, I don't know what to compare that to, you know? And then on top of that, when you, when when it seems that he's deemed you fit to be the stepfather to his son, that's a, that's overwhelming. Um, he's a he's perfectly healthy, happy baby boy that um, came into the world. I guess just like most every other kid, you know. Um, I, I get why they call it labor. (laughs) I I mean, since I was 12, I've worked every day of my life, but I've never worked as hard as Mary worked that night. She was, she was amazing. And and not just that night. I mean, through all of it, through, through the months of people talking about us behind our back and um, the week long journey to Bethlehem and then and then we get there and she 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 takes an ordinary feeding trough and uh and turns it into a cradle and none of it seemed to faze her she's amazing And you know what through through all of it i never heard her once ask why why you know she just She just did everything God asked her to do. And if she didn't understand why things happened, she knew God was in control. She just, she, she, she followed his will. I, I get, I get it, man. I get why God chose her. I really do. What I don't, understand is why he chose me
0: this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together in union she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Haven't we all been in Joseph's shoes and not even realize it? Haven't we all looked at things on the horizontal plane only? Looked at things in the natural the way they really seem to be? We see things on the surface, and we judge them from the surface. Here's a young man who is engaged and spoused to a young girl, 14, 15 years old. And one day, she comes to him and says, I am pregnant. And he looks at her, and he thinks for a second, my goodness, how could this happen? It must have been when I went to the temple convention in Jerusalem, and I heard that she had called up her old boyfriend, Nathaniel. And he looks at it in the natural and the horizontal and says, she is pregnant, but I don't want to disgrace her or even disgrace myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to quietly dismiss her. I'm going to quietly divorce her on the side. Haven't we all been there? Might not be with a pregnancy, but in another area. We look and we judge the unfaithful, the cheater, as he did. And then of a sudden, God comes on the scene. He steps in and he reveals to him and to us the reality of his divine hand in that situation. He's trying to get us to look vertically And not to look horizontally, to look at him, to look heavenly at the supernatural beyond just the physical. I believe, dear ones, that as the months went by in their relationship, as her pregnancy continued, I believe that the reality of what was really happening started to sink into this young man's mind. And then, as I said earlier, dropped into his heart and it became revelation in his heart. He started to appreciate this young girl more and more and more. And really, I believe at that point, he started to fall in love with her more and more. Her character, her purity of heart started to surface more and more and more, especially as her time of delivery drew closer and closer. And then I think he pondered more and more his part in this great miracle that had happened. This miracle where God comes to earth. You see, that's Christmas time. Where God comes to earth in human form. And Joseph says, I get to raise him, I get to nurture him, I get to house the Son of God, the Messiah of mankind. God incarnate. God in the flesh. And then as we all do, he begins to question his worthiness. He begins to doubt his ability, his spiritual depth, his character. But most of all, I believe, church, he was haunted by that question we heard him say on the film. Why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? What did I ever do to deserve your love toward me? Well, his answer is the same answer we have today when we say, Lord, why me? Why me, Lord? What have I done to deserve the blessings that you have poured out upon me? What have I done to deserve you on a cross, hanging and suffering and dying for my sins? The entire redemptive act of Calvary and the blood that was shed and the torture that was paid for our sins. What have I done to deserve it? And the answer remains the same. Nothing. You didn't do anything anything to deserve anything. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, dear ones. God's love isn't looking for someone who deserves it. It's only looking for someone who will receive it That's the catch that we can't understand. That's the part that we can't handle because we want to be part of it. We want to earn it. We want to deserve it. We want to be good enough for it. And he says that will never happen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is only through that cross and the redemptive work of Calvary that any of us can have our sins forgiven, and any of us can enter into an eternity with Jesus Christ. And dear ones, that is the Christmas story. Our part is to accept what he's given us, to trust his choice, and to do the best we can with what he has laid before us, whatever that is, And another, just another little tidbit here. That is the key to contentment in your life. You'll never be content unless you resolve that. What is our lesson from Joseph? What can we see in Joseph? If we look closer, we will see ourselves Our feelings of inadequacy, our questions of ability, of deserving or not deserving. And probably most of all of fear. It's frightening to think that God would want to use you for something in his kingdom. It's frightening to think that maybe you won't measure up. It's frightening to think that maybe you'll displease him and you won't meet that standard. Listen to me, church. He's not looking for ability. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for handsome. He's not looking for pretty. He's not looking for degrees or non-degrees. He's looking for a heart that is willing. A good heart. A heart that says, I'm not going to publicly disgrace her. It says he was a righteous man. A man who says, I'm not going to bring her before the Sanhedrin, but where she would be stoned to death. I'm not going to do any of that. And then God says, now I've got somebody I can use. He's looking for your heart. Our part is to accept it and to deal with it and to go forth and do the best that we can do. How does Joseph's story still apply to us? First of all, God chooses us. Listen, listen, he chooses us he chooses us because of what he sees in us, not because of what we don't see in us. Are you catching this? He chooses us because of what he sees in us, not because of what we don't see in us. We always look at things in the horizontal. We look at what we don't have and how we're this and we can't do that. And he says, no, I see that potential. I see what's in you and I want to use you for my kingdom. Do you see yourself as a glass half full or half empty? You know, we've all heard that before. Do you see yourself and other people as beyond all hope or a work in progress? You see, I believe ladies have a better handle on that than us men. Because ladies marry us and we're some rough pieces of rock. Let me tell you something. But they can see a little jewel in there in our heart. And I think they have a better handle on that than us men do. It's just us, we just see the rock, we'll throw it away and look for a pretty rock. Diamonds in the rough, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 16, where the Lord sends the prophet Samuel to anoint King David. He goes to the house of Jesse and all of these handsome and eligible looking guys that would be wonderful politicians and wonderful congressmen and presidents and kings and all. And then... He says, is there another one? He said, yeah, well, there's a little runt out in the field. Well, go get him. And God says, anoint him. And God tells him, he says, don't consider the other one's appearances or their height, for I've rejected them. The Lord does not look at things as man. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Why do we have such a hard in this area why do we categorize so quickly why do we make such rash decisions why are we so flippant about all of these things probably probably because we are trying to project on others our feelings of inadequacy our self-righteousness our pride and this world system God is a God of potential church and he sees your potential and he wants to use you like Elizabeth. He wants to use you like Joseph. He wants to use you as all the other characters we're going to see in weeks to come. Scary thought, isn't it? That God would want to use me. Secondly, God delights in choosing the foolish to confound the wise. The foolish to confound the wise. That's what scripture says. The foolish To confound the wise. The simple things. And even the simple people. Would you rather be. If you had a choice. A complicated. Multifaceted machine. With all kinds of little gadgets in it. That could break. Or would you rather be a Maytag washer. Washing machine. Does anyone here know about Maytag washing machines? They are successful. Because they are simple. Now, the new ones aren't quite as simple as the older you get, the, the, the simpler they are. We had an old, old one with crystal knobs on it. It was that old. It was so easy. You flipped it up. It was on a pulley. You pushed the pulley and changed the belt. We had another dryer that was, and, and I forgot the name of it, that was so complicated to change the belt, I lost about three pints of blood. Changing parts and pulling little stuff and loosening stuff and everything else. God. We'll use a Maytag. Say with me, I am a Maytag. Come on. Matthew, a despised tax collector, uh, collector. Thomas, the doubter. Peter, the impetuous man. He smelled like sardines. Come on. David, the adulterer and the murderer. Oh, <gasps> King David. Yes, have you ever felt like that or have you ever acted like that? No, I've never done that. I've never done what David get, did. You better open your eyes and look in the mirror, church. How many of us men in here have never looked at a woman and lusted in your life? Come on, you better be honest because if you lie, you fry. And I know every one of us have. How many of you have gotten mad at someone want to knock their block off? Come on, Jesus said you just murdered them. And God uses these people. Lastly, God will never discard you or pass you up if your heart is right. That's the Christmas story. God will never discard you. He'll never pass you up, dear ones, if your heart is right. Who is this Joseph character? He's no one special, no one wealthy, no one well-connected, no one famous. He's just a righteous, good-hearted man who listened when God spoke to him and took this young teenage girl and loved her. He was more worried about God than his reputation. Now, in his place, would you have done the same? What would you have done? Is that what you would have done or would you have you taken her out and had her stoned? Or, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. What have you done in the past? Were you the first one to pick up that rock and throw it at the lady caught in adultery? Were you the one who said, I can't believe she did that. My goodness, surely she was with Nathaniel when I was at the convention in Jerusalem. And she will pay the full price. Or do you listen to the Holy Spirit that says, hold on here. You're not understanding this. God is looking for Josephs, those who don't feel that they're the best, the most, the greatest, but just willing to listen and to be used. Ask yourself, dear ones, this Christmas, ask yourself these two characters Am I an Elizabeth? Am I a Joseph? Am I an Elizabeth? Am I a Joseph? Your answer? Both. Both. This Christmas, as we go through these characters, and when you see that manger scene, the nativity scene, in the front of your church by those crosses... And when you see, they're, they're big, they're really beautiful. We've had them for a couple of years now. When you see them, I want to look and say, hey, there's Joseph. That's me. And next week when we go through two more, I want you to see you. And then on the Christmas service, That's when I want us to see Jesus.